Hey guys, welcome into our band chat uh, with us four at From Underground Kings. Uh, this is our weekly podcast uh, that we do. This week the topic is Colorado Rock. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Chris Watts, James James Holmes, uh, Jean Benet Ramsey, um, other Col- uh, Columbine killers, and other you know various Colorado uh, mischievous folks. Uh, so stick around, tune in, and uh, let's get into it, fellas. What are we starting with? So we are going to be starting with the Watts family murders, which so, was <clears throat> gnarly. They are, okay, so here's a little bit of background from the Watts family. Christopher Lee Watts and Shannon Catherine Watts were locals of the Spring Lake and Aberdeen, North Carolina counties. They met in 2010 and were married in Mecklenburg County on November 3rd, 2012. They had two daughters, Bella Marie which she was born December 17th, 2013, and Celeste Catherine, or Cece Watts, born July 17th, 2015. They lived in a five-bedroom home in Frederick, Colorado, which they purchased in 2013, and they declared bankruptcy in 2015. Chris worked for a petroleum company, and Shannon was a seller for the Thrive Pyramid Scheme. (laughs) MLM. (laughs) Right. Um, So... This whole case starts, she was on a business trip to Arizona, and she returned home about, uh, according to this, 148 on August 13th, 2018, after being driven home by her friend, uh, Nicole Atkinson, and Chris was home with the girls. Later that day, um, Shannon missed an appointment with her OBGYN. And Nicole had reported her missing after she failed to return calls and text messages. And later on that day, she also missed a business meeting with Atkinson. So Nicole went to the home at about uh, around noon and knocked on the door. It went unanswered. Um, And at that point, Nicole notified Chris, who was at work, and she called the Frederick Police Department. An officer arrived to conduct a welfare check about 1.40 p.m. During the welfare check, Chris gave the police officer permission to search the home, but there was no sign of Shannon or the girls. Police discovered her purse containing her phone and keys in her car, which still contained the girls' car seats. So this is when it really starts to get sus there. Her wedding ring was also found on the master bed. So the FBI and the Colorado Bureau of Investigation joined the investigation on August 14th uh, when Chris initially told police that he had no idea where Shannon, Bella, or Celeste might be and had not seen his wife since 5.15 a.m. on the 13th when he left for work. He gave interviews to various media outlets um, outside the house and... I think everyone's seen the waterworks that uh, he put on. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I remember. I've seen some of the videos and stuff that he, that, um, like some of the interviews and um, some home footage from neighbors and stuff. Yeah. Stuff that was going on at that house, which I, is kind of, kind of sus, man. Yeah. And the, the police body cam footage from, from when you were talking about when they uh, did the the welfare check right that, that was interesting to watch definitely sketchy like, sure. oh yeah no he was nervous and, as fuck and shit like that yeah, it's yeah super nervous and the neighbor's cameras that were set up showed him like coming back and like he he, he got out of his car and then like walked like he was going to go to his house and then went back to his car and then like did the same thing like four times like he kept going back and forth right right super sus and yeah 
So, um, August 15th, uh, according to an arrest affidavit, he failed a polygraph test and subsequently confessed to murdering Shannon. And then he asked uh, to speak to his father before confessing. Um, according to the affidavit, or the affidavit, he was having an affair and claimed he asked for a separation from Shannon. Uh, during the investigation, he claimed she had strangled the girls in response to his request for separation. And in a fit of rage, he strangled her and then transported the bodies to a remote oil storage uh, site where he had worked. Yeah, BS. Bullshit. Right. What do you mean, bullshit? So, well, how are you not going to call the cops and be like, yo, my fucking wife killed my kids yo, and yeah, I yeah. killed her and I'm sorry. After like, already lying about this whole situation, trying and, and, to make it look like your wife left you and took the kids. Right. So, so he, what he was trying to say was uh, was that his wife killed the kids? Yeah. And so, yeah. he, he told killed her? police okay, well, that, that when he sense. had asked for a separation, Shannon threw a fit and killed their kids. And then in response to her killing the kids, uh, he had told police that he killed her in retaliation. Yeah. Yeah. Like so any, no, any no. reasonable no. person would do that. No. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Um, wow. Terrible. On August 21st, uh, Watts was charged with five counts of first degree murder. Five counts including an additional one count per child cited as death of a child who had not yet attained 15 years of age. And the defendant it's was so sad. It is. Yeah. And the defendant was in a position of trust, um, unlawful termination of a pregnancy and three counts of tampering with a deceased human body. He was denied bail at his first court appearance at, and at a later hearing, his bail was set at $5 million, with him being required to put down 15% to be released. 600000 Damn. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, also that's a- not as much as you would think would be required to- Well, that, for- well, that's just- that's really just to get him out until he has court. Until yeah, true. He so wasn't sentenced. Yeah. Working as a bounty hunter, like the, the you have the surety that ensures basically that he's not leaving- that's mm-hmm. that's what a bounty hunter does is like goes and finds the people that skip on bail, right? You know, that they said that they would be there. The surety is there to ensure that they'll be in court. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that's a little off topic. No, it's definitely. I think that's that's useful information. Okay, cool. so if I if something. I were to ever be arrested and bail was met one million dollars, um, typically you you only need to pay. 10% of that, but you're, you're, uh, so just a hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Wow. And then to get out yes. and then pay <laughs> off the other 900,000. Well, no. Um, so you wouldn't have to pay off anything. So, oh, really? Yeah. So what the, the surety does is they offer up that money. And unless you skip you, bail, if you, if you skip bail, they, they still get that money back. But the thing is, is that, um, because they're ensuring that you're going to be in court. Mm. Because then I would get the hundred thousand dollars that you paid the bondsman. Right. That that would be your, your um your bounty mm-hmm. on your head. Basically, what you pay to your bondsman is your also your bounty if you skip. Oof. So you lose out on that money. Yeah. You well either way you don't get it back. So on November 6, twenty eighteen, Watts pleaded guilty to the murders. 
Um, the death penalty was not pursued by the district attorney on request of Shannon's family, who did not wish for any further deaths. Um, mad disagree, but okay. Um, on November 19th, he was sentenced to five life sentences, three consecutive and two concurrent. Without what does that the possibility mean? of parole. So consecutive life sentences would be if you had, let's just say it was three five-year sentences that were consecutive. Mm-hmm. then that's 15 years total. Yeah. And then if you had, um, it's saying that he had two concurrent ones, which means that, so if you got sentenced to three concurrent, um, I'm sorry, to five concurrent years three times, then yeah. you only have to do five years because you're doing uh, five years for each crime that are that run concurrent with each other. Consecutive means you do five, five, and five. And the reason why and, he's charged life in prison was because of three separate charges. Uh, then, correct? I, I don't know what I've always been confused about that. Like when they're like this, you know, um, five life sentences. It's like to me, it's like, is it because there's five different charges that were both probably all equal? Yeah, because they have to charge each other. And a a life sentence isn't necessarily your life. I think a life sentence narrows down to like fifty years. Huh. In some states, it's twenty five years. Yeah, it's. I think that's just what they call it. Yeah, most states. Because if you think about 25 years of your life in prison, that's kind of like life, dude. Yeah. Yeah. At any point in your life, unless you get sentenced to prison at like two years old. Dude, that's like the the whole, uh, that movie, um, Shawshank Redemption. Like the guy got out of prison and didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. killed himself, you know, yeah. like he didn't, he didn't have a life anymore. Like just like, imagine like going to prison in the seventies, yeah. not knowing anything and getting out in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, insane. Uh, that would be hard. Dude, even coming back from like Iraq was hard. Cause it was, it was like that. I mean, it was just a year, but it was just like, dude, technology changed. Right. Everything changed. Like I couldn't imagine doing 25 years without any, you know, any outside world influence or right. anything. Well, luckily, this animal will not be seeing the light of day, and to call him an animal would be a disservice to animals. Um, (laughs) There's no words to describe what this guy was. And in any case, on December 3rd, uh, Watts was moved to an out-of-state location due to security concerns, probably because he was getting butt-fucked by the other prisoners, like, mad bad. And uh, he now resides (laughs) at a Supermax in, uh, what is this, like, Wapoon, Wisconsin. Wapoon? Yeah. Um, To... I just popped. I probably just popped. <laughs> to continue serving his sentences. And a lot of this stuff is uh the references come from all over the place, anywhere from medium to vice to uh you name it. There's tons of information out here. So now we're gonna get into the type of killer that Chris Watts is classified as cool. which is a family annihilator. And this hmm. was put together by Bianca uh Joniva. Uh, did I pronounce that right? Joni Nova, Bianca Joni Nova at medium.com. So there's four types of family annihilators or there's, yeah, there is the self-righteous killer, the disappointed killer, the anomic killer and the paranoid killers. Which one do you guys want to cover first? Uh, Are, Are we going off which one we think he is or? Sure. Yeah. Can you uh, list those off again? So self-righteous killers disappointed killers anomic killers or paranoid killers paranoid i think he's a paranoid killer all right let's get into this so i'm going to read here from 
Miss Bianca's article. The paranoid killer. This individual believes that his wife and children are in immediate danger or under some form of threat and they need protecting. Social services or the police or the legal system might be perceived as a threat towards their family. Hence, he kills the entire family in an attempt to protect them from the outside threat. Huh. So I don't I don't think that fits him perfectly. Um, I think it fits him to an extent, though. Agreed. Agreed. Like, I can I can see that. You know, like maybe he was paranoid about, you know, his wife. So, yeah. Okay. So a paranoid or I'm sorry, a disappointed killer. This individual believes that he was let down by those around him. Most often his children and spouse. He might think that his family members are not good enough for him to be. I'm sorry. (laughs) He might think that his family members are not good enough for him. He is unhappy with the choices his children made. Uh, that are not according to the traditional or religious customs. Therefore, he kills the entire family in order to keep his reputation. Okay. So that's definitely not him. I can still see parts of that that fit, though. Like the whole that he might not think that his family members are not good enough for him. Yeah, but um, I I think his motive behind it was was the was his affair. Agree. So I feel like he was paranoid about. Maybe his wife finding out. See, and, that's kind of where I was leaning to, like right. with, the, with the paranoid killer. Mm-hmm. It was like that outside, uh, whatever. Um, the what, what yeah, is it? protect them from whatever. Right, them right. finding out about this uh, affair that he was having, or something, or maybe he wanted to continue it and move on with his life outside of outside of his uh, own family. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I don't think that he's a disappointed killer. Yeah. Um, Let's go over the Anoma killers. This killer considers his family as an extension of his economic success. As soon as the economic status breaks down, his family is no longer serves this function. Hence, he will kill them all. His view of the family is black and white, never gray. His view doesn't reflect the dynamic role that the woman can play in the institution of family or in the economy. And that was written by criminologist David Wilson. Mm. That seems to be a little more likely um, because in the case notes, I read that they had filed for bankruptcy in 2015. Yeah. But this didn't happen until three years prior, three years after to that. Yeah. And it's it's so blurred because you really don't know. I've never been through bankruptcy, so yes, I don't know how, yeah, that, I don't, how that, I mean, that could affect that, you long term. Right. I, I'm sure I'm it sure definitely it puts your, like, stress credit. on a relationship too, though. Right, right. Because like, I mean, you know, you could have a perfect relationship and then, you know, when your money's in the toilet, it just causes problems. That's fair. That is true. So the last category of family annihilator, we have the self-righteous killers. This individual is... In most cases, the father who often blames others, especially the mother, for relationship issues or a breakup and for preventing him from having access to the children. He sees himself as the provider, and taking that away from him will make him dangerous. The main goal is to cause pain and suffering to their partners and are most likely to use children in doing so. Will often kill the children and leave the mother alive to extend the suffering and ensure the maximum pain. In most cases, this type of family murderer will contact the mother prior to the murders and inform her about what they're going to do. His killings are executions and they are never spontaneous. He plans his murders and they are not the result of impulsiveness or in a fit of rage. The killings are methodical and planned out for a long time. 
Dude, that guy sounds dangerous. That's it, a fun, the self-righteous uh, killers yeah. sound dangerous as shit. So I think I, th- I I still think he falls under paranoid. Yeah, I yeah. think the the category of paranoid suits him. Uh, well, yeah. Um, actually, Dude, just I, I wonder purely angry. <laughs> I wonder with with his whole affair and everything that he was having. Um, I wonder if she was involved in any kind of way, like in in planning or if she knew or I, okay so interesting interesting little fact here okay um so the night that he killed uh his wife yeah because i think he killed his wife first yeah. but the the lady he was having an affair with her phone pinged off a tower like a block away from their house oh really yeah that's interesting so yeah. i think i think she had something to do with it yeah she knew what was going on. of course on. this is like speculation like, right I don't know for sure but like she yeah. she could right. have been a neighbor in down a, the block in a town as but. small as frederick i can't imagine that they would have a ton of cell towers so you know you might get a true, single true. cell to- tower that's within like three miles yeah right and you know yeah, she could a, live three miles down the road it's or, a possibility but yeah. Um, but another another interesting part is his mistress, I believe, was um, uh, when they got a search warrant for her information, she had Googled what the mistress of, uh, what was named Scott Peterson. Uh, oh, Because she had shit. written a book. So yeah. she had Googled what kind of sales that book had made, like a tell-all. Oh, um, damn. So even though she was never convicted or we don't know what her scope of involvement was in it. That's sus. It's sus as fuck. <laughs> this is the, the wife. I mean, it this could is, be pure yeah, coincidence. Well, this, but is, the, this is Chris Watts' mistress. Okay. Big um, sus. And that it was is sus. Yeah. So this was a this was a, a terrible, terrible event. And I think family annihilators, if we're. Talking about the killers out there, uh, they are some of the worst. Yeah. A hundred percent. You gotta be an evil person trying to kill your own family. Your yeah. own family. Yeah, yeah. That's let alone your two little daughters and pregnant wife. Dude, I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't either. Like that you you gotta be fucked up in the head. Yeah. 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 Like bad. Yeah. What do you think triggers this for, you know, someone like that? Because it, it could be you know, he made decent money, about sixty sixty five thousand a year. And so he he could have easily, if he just wasn't in love, like he could have just got easily a divorce. Just like, yeah, got a divorce and, and been like, Hey, you know yep. didn't work out. Sorry. Right. Yeah, but when you're a sociopath, yeah. Your brain doesn't work that way. He I mean that's that's true, but I mean everything about Chris Watts up until this single event was normal relatively yeah i mean besides but the the you know the mistress and you yeah, know that yeah. sort of thing right. but i mean that happens that's a common thing that happens yeah and not everyone you know gets murdered for that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. In an interview yeah. that i saw with with his next door neighbor um he had said that they would fight all the time chris and, and his wife and yeah he said that it, it he'd never heard anything like it the Dude. way that he would speak to her and the way that they would fight was just unreal, apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've i seen some of the text messages that they sent back and forth in a documentary that's on Netflix. But um, 
like and you can see some of that that tension there like where you know um she went on a on a trip his his wife went on a trip to um what was it carolina it was one of the carolinas i think yeah that's where um, they're from yeah and uh like it was it was supposed to be like a a week long trip that turned into like something else like uh like a six week trip or whatever but he didn't call and talk to his kids or anything because he was out doing stuff with his his lover and but she got all up in a tizzy about that like and like so i think that was kind of a stem of a lot of their fighting too it was just cuz like his lack of involvement right yeah that's um yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sorry <laughs> no <laughs> that's not, not a whole lot to say um, about that. i feel like forrest gump <laughs> no <laughs> that's all i have um, to say about that <laughs> yeah it's 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 a there's a lot of this case that we unfortunately don't have time to cover and maybe in a later episode we can go over For like sure. the yeah. deep and dirty of it um just an incredibly interesting story has a lot of parallels to the Scott Peterson case. Yeah. Um, That's a very interesting case, yeah, too. The same type of killer. Um, but today we're talking about killers of Colorado and the cases of Colorado. Yep. Which is where we're from. Yes. Correct. We are from there. And we are also from Underground Kings. <laughs> we're the golden so. <laughs> state of Colorado. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. Colorado, for any of you thinking of moving out here is full of killers it's it really is <laughs> your next door neighbor has a 90 percent chance of being right <laughs> okay so <laughs> in 90 percent of the cases the family annihilator is a male offender coming from a good respectable family with no criminal record he is usually between 30 and 40 years old this individual is perceived by the neighbors and friends as a dedicated father and a loyal husband with with a successful job and life he usually suffers of personality disorders such as narcissist or dependency and has a history of psychological problems such as depression, substance misuse, paranoia, anger, or difficulty to maintain a job. The main trigger for the killings is usually a breakup or financial hardship, but that depends on the different categories or subtypes of family annihilators. The MO for this type of killer is usually killing in their own house or in a secluded area chosen by the perpetrator by using a firearm suffocation or carbon monoxide poisoning along with drugging the victims most of the family annihilators will kill themselves after the murders but that is not a rule and that depends highly on the motive behind the killings up next on the uh the case docket <clears throat> who do we have uh mitch uh, looks like James Holmes is up next. James Holmes. James Holmes. All right, Cody, Creepy this was man. yours. This was mine. No, this, this is oh, Mitch. Okay, this yeah, was okay. Mitch's. So, so just explain why why we're having these these uh, uh, conversations. We we because we, it's we, interesting. We decided that we all w- we wanted to do this topic, um, and we each picked um, you know a couple of different people that we wanted to do research on. So that's why it's like you know oh is it Mitch is it Cody? Um, we each did our own separate research on on each of these people. Um, so we'll move on now to James Holmes. Um, uh, James Holmes was the Aurora uh, Century Sixteen movie theater mass killer. Um, essentially. Uh, what happened? The mass shooter, I should say. Um, what happened? What happened there was when the movie The Dark Knight was released. Um, 
uh, Holmes went to the Aurora six, uh, the Century 16 Theater in Aurora, Colorado, um, with an AR-15 and unloaded on the folks that were just sitting down to watch the Dark Knight movie. Um, it was horrible. In fact, on that night, uh, I remember it pretty clearly. I, I, um, uh, I was, oh, 17 or 18, 2012. So yeah, I, I was, I was 18 or 19 roughly, but, um, I was just down uh, 45 minutes away from Aurora in a movie theater at midnight when it happened, about to see Dark Knight myself. Um, my friends and I left uh, because we had gotten word of what had happened. And, of course, everybody's freaked out, you know, like, well, is it going to happen here kind of thing? For so sure. just, you know, just to kind of ease our nerves, we left. Um, didn't didn't watch the movie. Um, upon doing research on James Holmes, uh, he grew up in California. Um, had a relatively normal life, but uh, according to uh, a, a psychologist, um, I'm not sure if this was a psychologist that he had spoken to after he was detained, or if this was you know a psychologist that he had spoken to uh, before uh, the incident. Um, Holmes started to suffer from what they called in this article mental issues um, around the age of ten. Uh, he first tried to commit suicide at the age of eleven. Damn. Um, hmm. Declined socially from the age of eleven all the way up until you know he left California at uh, roughly twenty-two years old. Didn't have a lot of friends, things like this. Was relatively a lone wolf. But uh, the psychologist described some of the things that he had described to her around ten years old, starting to and and nowhere in this article I found it interesting. Um, did they refer to his symptoms as schizophrenia? But it sounds like schizophrenia to me. Um, he said he would, he, he, he was, when he was a younger kid, he described to some of the, the uh, medical professionals, psychological, psychological medical professionals that he spoke to, um, that he was scared of what he called nail ghosts, um, which were basically what, like when he would be laying in bed trying to sleep at night, um, He'd see shadows. And he would. He would see shadows and flickers eye. that would that would fight with each other. And he and the nail ghosts, as he re, uh, uh, referred to them as, would bang on the walls uh, with hammers um, and oh, it would keep okay. him up. I was thinking like chalkboard, like so that that was good that you clarified that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So interesting about James Holmes is he wasn't he wasn't like an idiot. No. Or no. like a doesn't even look like he was a social outcast he had a bachelor's degree and then he moved to colorado to pursue his master's yeah his undergraduate degree um at uc boulder yeah i mean i'm, I'm looking here um he described himself as quiet and easygoing and that was in a in an application yeah, for the apartment a, that he lived in on paris street in boulder he played soccer and ran cross country in high school yeah he attended uh pinasquito's Lutheran church with his family, um, according to the Lutheran church pastor. So Damn. this is, this looks like this, there were no signs other or than, no like other, other than his signs. Mental, the mental issues, mental right. issues. but he, him and his family were communicative, c- communicative about it. It sounds like, and, and they were, they were working with him since he had, basically said hey i'm having these issues you know i i'm some may right and it, it sounds to me like he was going to therapy from 11 forward um i also read um 
uh, somebody came forward saying that they had dated uh, Holmes in 2011 and 2012, early 2012. And she said that he would always make these really weird jokes, like not even jokes. He would just say it, like kind of present it as a joke, but it wasn't necessarily a joke. I think they like referred to it as a humor. flat joke, yeah, in mm-hmm. the article. Um, and they had said that it, it was always about killing people and, and anybody who was with them when he would make jokes like that. Again, I say jokes with the air quotes. Um, always just was really, really uncomfortable. And she had said that she had tried to urge him to get more help than, I guess, what he was already receiving. Um, but he didn't. Um, hmm. In another interview I saw after the incident, this was uh, he was interviewed in, a, in what, wherever he was being detained at the time. Um, he basically just said that it was... They basically they asked him why he did it, uh, and he said, it, "Well, it was either that or suicide." Yeah, which is I, like, okay. That, that, uh, then why is he pleading insanity? Right. You know, like I don't, I don't get that, and I, I, I don't. You don't <clears throat> get what? I don't get why he he was like, "Oh well, I'm just gonna kill everybody or or commit suicide." You I, know, I feel like they kind of go hand in hand. Like I, okay. I think people. With who are that messed up in the head, they feel like they want other people to feel their pain yeah. before they. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I, I mean, I, I can't relate, but like, I can, I can empathize Unders- with yeah, that, yeah, or yeah. you know, like, I, I understand pain, you know, right? Like, but what I don't get is that, you know, he's trying to plea, like, get an insanity plea, mm-hmm. you know, and when. Oh, you know, you were going to commit suicide anyway. Like, why? Why does it matter? Why? Do, why don't you want the death penalty now? You know, I, I don't know. That's yeah, no, I I get that. I get that. So, it, um, to basically leave off. Uh, so I, I suppose uh, February of 2012 was when the girlfriend of Holmes said that they had split for the last time. They'd split multiple times throughout their relationship. Um, and Holmes had told a therapist again, I'm not sure whether this was after the incident, uh, when he was detained or shortly before the incident, but Holmes had told a therapist or a psychologist of some sort that her breaking up with him was what led to his ultimately violent depression as he had coined it. And he had apparently been obsessed with, with, uh, wanting to kill people since he was young. Um, so he finally decided to act on it, um. In doing so, Holmes stockpiled a whole shit ton of weapons, uh, rigged his apartment with explosives, uh, and then headed down to the Century 16 movie theater, um, killed 12 people and injured, I think it was like 50 more. Yeah, he also had tear gas. He also had tear gas, all sorts of things that, it's like, how the how the fuck do you even get that? But yeah, okay, probably made it. Yeah, yeah you can make tear gas. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like that, he was pretty smart. So I he probably had the anarchist cookbook. Cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, your shit is spicy as fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> These guys walk into my house and they just get attacked by like fucking pepper spray. Dude, it's I like love you that just shit, use though. bear mace to, to to just add some spice to your shit. <laughs> I'm dude, the only one that likes it. I walk in and I'm like, yeah, burn me, daddy. So what I'm seeing here is on June 25th, less than a month before the shooting, Holmes emailed an application to join a gun club in Byers, Colorado. Oh, I didn't see this. The owner, Glenn Rotkovich, called him several times throughout the following days to invite him to a mandatory orientation, but could only reach his answering machine. Holmes left Rotkovich one voicemail in reply. Due to the nature of Holmes' voicemail, which 
Kovitch, described as bizarre, freaky, guttural, uh, spoken with a deep voice, incoherent and ram- rambling, Rotkovich instructed his staff to inform him if Holmes showed up. Though Holmes neither appeared at the gun range nor called back, Rotkovich said, in hindsight, looking back, if I'd seen the movies, maybe I'd say it was like the Joker. I would have gotten the Joker out of it. It was like somebody was trying to be as weird as possible. Huh. Wow. So maybe that's why he picked that movie as well. So what I also found was he... In, so in the in the months leading up to it, he purchased a Glock 22 pistol and approximately three thousand rounds of ammunition Holy for shit. it. Three thousand, but a, like for a pistol, that's overkill, right? Yeah, well, just he a little bit. Purchased in a Smith and Wesson AR-15, the M&P Sport, mm-hmm. and two magazines, and he purchased three thousand rounds of ammunition <laughs> for it. Two mags. That's a lot of reloading. A um, lot. And then he purchased a Remington 870 Express shotgun in which he purchased 350 shells for it. <laughs> this guy Jesus. really went all out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I really, I, I, I don't think that <laughs> purchasing guns is necessarily like a trigger um, for, for something like that. Like, I don't, I wouldn't have seen that as suspicious. No. Um. When you're buying that that amount of ammo for for what he did and stuff like that, like I mean he I mean he he planned out what he was going to do, but he didn't understand what it would take. I guess I don't think right. Well, like so, I'm an avid shooter, and for me, three thousand rounds of ammunition on you know that's that's yeah. you know like a few months at the range. Yeah, like just going casually. Exactly. Right. So. I mean, other than it, it would it would be just, a long hard day trying to shoot three three thousand rounds. Right, and, but that's like, just like sore as fuck. I don't yeah. know if if you guys. So in in the future, if ammunition's ever available again, like I'm gonna stockpile more because like yeah. I can't go shooting right now because there's no ammunition to. Like yeah. I can't. No, I feel you there. <laughs> there's nothing out there, so. Yeah. Um, and there's a few times where. You know, it's just hard to find, so it's good to good to stock up. So I wouldn't necessarily see that as suspicious, but where it gets me is uh, you, you don't act sus the way he was acting, right. and then you do the things. I think so. Do you do you guys think that the like why the Batman movie? Do you think it's just that it was? No, that's a good what I'm target? saying is I think I think maybe he drew inspiration from the idea For, of yeah the from the Joker. From, yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that because the, like the things that he he did was very like indicative that did, it was did, influenced by it. Didn't mm-hmm. even color his hair. It was that, orange. Yeah. It was orange. Yeah. And he, there was a, on July 25th, 2012, um, they found an undelivered package at the, um, Anschultz medical campus that, um, was a notebook that detailed everything that he was going to do, but it had the word why written all over it. Really, like you know, like the like Joker's the, like, like Joker. why he's so serious, yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, like it was just kind of. There had to have been some sort of. I, I feel like I maybe he like idolized him. him a little bit. Yeah, 
a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> well, it just yeah, because the, there the were mania and the chaos and and the, there were the, yeah. When the Joker movie came out, was it this year or was it last year? Last year. Okay, yeah. When the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix came out last year, there were a ton of people that were so critical of it because they were like, it's going to trigger you know, people who already have like incel vibes and it's going to empower them. And it's just like, well, at the end of the day, it's art. Right, right. There's also so much more things out there that are already out there that could do that anyways. Right. So, I I mean, is it, is it something that we blame this event on? No. Yeah. Because it's, well, I'm not saying yeah to me. No, you're agreeing with me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So... I think that this guy would have done bad things regardless of this movie coming out. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And yeah, no matter like if he didn't have the means that he did have, he would have done something else. He would have built a bomb. Like it could have been worse. He was held. Didn't he build a bomb in his apartment? Yeah. Yeah. He he had his whole apartment rigged, but it didn't blow up. Yeah. It could have been even worse. He could have killed even more people. Right. True. Yeah. So, and so from that, um yeah we there's changes <laughs> lots of lots of changes that we see now something's in the water and, and i think <laughs> yeah. it's to some extent now everyone like whether they admit it or not is a little paranoid when they go to a movie theater yep yeah Definitely. i mean I, i've been to that movie theater which they've now like completely remodeled the wing that it happened in but yeah, i mean you'd have regardless to. like yeah eerie vibes triggered too many things for sure yeah. eerie vibes for yeah. sure you know it did kind of change movie theaters a lot i feel like it was like like how 9-11 changed at airports yeah yeah that yeah it was it was horrible just yep. yeah it's oh man it's i just can't sad, imagine man. the mind frame like something i've always been uh, very fascinated with killers in general, whether they were serial killers or, or shooters or whatever. And the thing that really draws me in when it comes to that fascination is trying to imagine the mindset that they're in. Right. I don't, I don't think it's possible that you can. No, I don't. I, 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 I've never have been I mean, able to even yeah. remotely justify, you know, you try to think like, where the hell could they have possibly been at in their head you, but right. the dude the only way i could personally rationalize is if somebody hurt my family yeah. dude, <laughs> even then yeah like, period the amount of anxiety like going in there i can't even imagine that oh i know like my heart pounds like just fuck man like i can't even think about that i know like <laughs> yeah, yeah, did you guys ever either. play the no russian mission on on modern warfare 2 no, uh, I don't think so. It's the mission where, like, you're in the Russian airport and you go up in the elevator oh, yes. and you kill all this. Yes. Yo, even that shit made my stomach turn. Like, I could hardly even do that shit. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel you there, man. Like, dude, you're, you're opening up on innocence or just, like, killing in general. Like, I can't imagine, like, like cold blood just because. Yeah, yeah just because, because you want to. Yeah. Because you want to send a message, you want people to feel things you felt, you want to leave your mark in shit, whatever your fucking reason. What the fuck? Like I just can't. I yeah. I yeah. can't. Like and I've 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 everybody has had mental breaks 
in their life. Yeah. People suffer from mental illnesses, but I just cannot imagine the intensity of a mental break such as that. Like I yeah. just Yeah. Well, I think in people like James Holmes, um it's I I have a just a gut feeling that it it is because he's not a good-looking dude. He's socially awkward. So I can only imagine that in situations where he's interacting with people, they could come off as cold to him or yeah. or you know, people can make prejudgments about him. So that's a, a good Sure. It's it's just a reminder to yourself that a little kindness goes a long way. For sure. Um and one action can change the course of someone's life. Yeah. So, you know, like you don't have to kiss anyone's ass, but at the same time, don't go out of your way to be an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Yo, fuck bullying. Yeah. Let me just say that right now. That's exactly what this comes down to. It's like that things could have been much different if people had been much different to him. Yes. But I think I'm not making excuses for him. He also had a lot of help in his life. Like it sounds like he talked to a lot of doctors and therapists and psychologists and he yeah, had but people you can, in his life that were supportive that were like, yo, dude, like you need to get help. These jokes aren't fucking funny, man. Like, you well, know, I, I say some things sometimes that people like when I go to work and they're like, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, well, I'm still here. Like yeah. I, I make a lot of like self-deprecating jokes. I make a lot of like, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore think, jokes, but like, yeah, but like when you are with your friends and you're hanging out and it's, everyone's laughing and you're like, I'm going to shoot up a movie theater and everyone's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah fuck? I don't, I don't know if that's, I if think, that's quite the extent of I it. I think though. there is a, there is a place for dark humor though. Like I think dark humor soothes those that are, are hurt, are hurting, you know, like for sure. Like, but, I mean, and again, this isn't to make excuses for him because yeah. that was inexcusable, right. but kind of just the moral of it is. You know when to take somebody seriously, but also warning signs. Take, yeah, take seriously those people, and and maybe just do a little bit extra to be kind to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because I think at some point when people are bullied, it it doesn't dehumanize them, but it dehumanizes you to them. Yes, mm-hmm. there's a Dane, exactly. there's a Dane Cook joke about this. <laughs> what you got during one it's like, it's like one of his first big specials he talks about how he's always nice to the weird guy in the office because then on the one day that the weird guy decides he's going to shoot up the office he's going to like pop into dan cook's office and be like thanks for the snickers <laughs> dude i i tell you what i work with some weird people um especially when i was at a different station and uh yeah i would go out of my way to be nice to those people yeah. yeah. Um not, not because only because die, like just because you want to be that person right. that like, like shows them make kindness. the difference. Like, you want to do yeah. it. You want to be Sometimes they just you need someone be, to talk to. You yeah. can be the light in that person's life. Right. Right. You really could though. So, like you could be the difference for someone like that. And that's important. So that is kind of a rough overview of James Holmes. We might do another episode at some point that covers the whole story getting more into it yeah um up next on the docket looks like we have john benet ramsey yes which Uh, is an unsolved it is unsolved case um so we don't really have a a murderer to identify with this one but 
I'll just give you some some facts on it. So, um, in Chris on Christmas Day, nineteen ninety six, um, they found a their her parents found a letter. Um, that was a ransom letter at her house. Um, and so they called the police cause she was missing. And then six hours later, they discovered the body after they had already searched the house for her, discovered a ba- the body in the basement that they didn't previously check or something. So that's kind of sus. That was the, hmm. was that the, the room that was locked from the inside in the open yes. window? Yes. Yeah. Then the, the window was open because, um, they had Christmas lights that came right. in and they had to leave it cracked because um, they needed electricity from the inside of the house. So this was the night of the Christmas party? Um, I don't know. Or don't just know. shortly after the Christmas party? I think so. I yeah. Think so, so. Um, yeah. Um, and then so when they found the body, they they tested it for DNA and everything. Um, they found trace DNA on, from an unknown male that was found on her clothing. They found a boot in the in the room that she was in that they don't know who it belongs to still. Um, let's see here. Um, was it, she was found in a suitcase? Correct. No, she was what, like, wrapped what was up the, in a bed sheet. Yes, right. But there was a suitcase in the room. I did that, not read about that. Huh. No, no suitcase that I read about. Okay, um, but there are there are suspected taser marks on her body. Like, um, it's like bruising that is, um, like lightly cauterized. <laughs> no, it it's what just it that? it looks a lo- it looks like a taser burn. It, that's what it looks it's like. Suspected to be a taser. It, burn. It's suspected to be a taser burn. Yeah, not confirmed. Um, so I mean, there's there's many theories about what happened. To John Benet Ramsey, like there's the the family member theory um, about her brother, um, that he was like I th- I think Rome you'd mentioned that he was like messing with her or something. Uh, correct. So here's the the kind of rundown of John Benet. Um, gosh, so she sustained a broken skull from a blow to the head and had been strangled. Yeah. A garrote was found tied around her neck. The autopsy report stated the official cause of death was asphyxiation, asphyxia by strangulation associated, associ- uh, associated with uh, cranial trauma. So she was blundered and strangled. strangled. Hmm. Overkill. Yeah, this is, um, this is a whopper of a case because Dude, not only really do we is. have... And not only is it unsolved, um, this was a prominent family in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. Um, there are no, I mean, there's no shortage of suspects. There's no shortage of theories. I mean, there's people that even claim to do it that have been disproven. Like there's really, yeah, there, there are people that come out of the woodworks for, for this case just to get notoriety even like that say, say that they did it and then like. That's no. fucked up. No, I know, man. Why? Yeah, why would you do um, that? Um, so I like the theory. Um, I watched this this documentary. Um, on on this, and it, it's it's called um, "Hunting John Bonet's Killer: An Untold Story," and in that they they go into detail a little bit about this lady that 
um, years later, she was in prison and kind of found out about Jean Benet. She she wasn't from Colorado. I don't know why she didn't know about it, she, but she got interested in it. Read the letter, and at the end of it, um, is it's like talking about the word victory. So it says signed victory S B T C. Um, so, and another part of it talks about countermeasure tactics in this. And so she was part of a cult, um, called BDX. Um, and that was ran by Scott Carruthers. And in a lot of his rhetoric and his writings and stuff like that, he uses the word victory and countermeasure tactics and stuff like that, that, um, um, comes into play with that. So he, in this documentary was like, you were led to believe that he was potentially the killer because he was suspected to be in Colorado around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, can't prove anything still like that's why they don't have a killer. Um, but it's just, that's, that's kind of what I find interesting about it. And I, I kind of want to know your guys' thoughts, your guys' theories about what may have happened to John Benet Ramsey. So, um, going over, um, the ransom note here. Yeah. It's crazy, and man. It's we're looking at, um, pretty much the assessment by the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. And what I found in some of my research, um, prior, like a long time ago when I was yeah. following this case, uh, in the ransom note, there was a demand for an approximate sum of $118,000. Um, right. So John Bonet's father, I believe, worked in tech, and he was a higher-up guy, and was due for a bonus of about the same amount around the same Ooh. time. So I don't know if you guys mm. heard that. So I CBI, yeah. um, this is according to statements that Patsy gave to the authorities on December 26th. She realized that her daughter was missing after she found a two and a half page handwritten ransom note on the kitchen staircase. The note demanded $118,000 US dollars, which is equivalent to $200,000 in 2020. Yeah. Um, John pointed out to the police first on scene that the amount was nearly identical to his Christmas bonus of the prior year, which suggested that someone who would have access to that information would be involved in the crime. Close Investigators looked at several theories behind the dollar amount demanded. They considered employees at Access Graphics who may have been known who may have known the amount of John's prior bonus. They also considered the possibility that the ransom demand was a re- reference to Psalm 118 and spoke to religious sources to determine possible relevance. The ransom note was unusually long. The Federal Bureau of Investigation told the police that it was very unusual for such a note to be written at the crime scene. The police believed that the note was staged because it did not have any fingerprints except for Patsy's and the authorities who handled it. And because it included an unusual uh, use of exclamation marks and initialisms, the note and a practice draft were written with a pen and pad of paper from the Ramsey home, according to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation report. There are yeah. indications that the author of the ransom note is Patricia Ramsey. Yeah. Um, however, the evidence fell short of a definitive conclusion. The The DA actually apologized years later. Right. In 2008. Yeah. But um, so we're, we're talking about the theories of it. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, and I'm not, 
<laughs> don't come after me for libel. <clears throat> I I am a sort of believer in the brother theory. Okay. In which, um, ooh, so there is speculation that there was uh, physical abuse uh, yeah. towards John Bonet by the brother, and uh, this was found out by the mother. And the brother strangled John Bonet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Have didn't you guys know what read to this do. Note? And the mother helped cover it up uh, to protect her son. So that's really? one of the theories is that there was abuse. They found out that night um, and she was possibly dropped. Um. Like they're trying to carry when, carry her. Well, or yeah, when the when the brother was trying to carry her, he had strangled her because and again, this is just the theory, but she had started struggling with him. He freaks out, doesn't know what to do. So he starts strangling her. He kills her, starts freaking out, tries to pick her up, drops her, and then doesn't know what to do. So he goes and gets his mother, and his mother helps him cover up the crime scene. Yeah, I I think that would be. <sighs> I think that's the. I th- I th- I think I lean towards that. The theory. only thing is though is that her brother was nine years old at the time. Like, I, I how mean, old was she but, at the time? Let me see here. Like five. She was she was like five years old. Yeah. Yeah. So again, this. Or six years old. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Five or six. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I get what you're saying. Um, I believe it to be still plausible because at nine years old, you're, oh, you, you you're, know, you're still capable of killing for sure. Like, um, I, I think, I mean, there's two year olds that kill people with guns. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, but, um, and I, I, I definitely, I see that as plausible. I just, I, I don't want to believe that. Right. And I, I don't think anyone does, but it's definitely, uh, it's, it's where I lean. Yeah. Just, just from the physical evidence of like, right. the fingerprints and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Because there's, there's no other prints in the home. Yeah. Other than like the people who were at the Christmas party. Yeah. The, the night prior. And in the in the family yeah uh well in in the investigators and the police and like one more thing is like they're looking for their daughter but they check everywhere except for for that like yeah i, I understand that yeah. but if like you dude, would look everywhere my in fucking, your house i can't find my cat yeah and i'm looking every crevice in my house right like, yes. why yeah. would you you, know, why, it why just would you seems, skip out on yeah that it just room. looks too convenient and they say it's because well it's locked from the inside well what the hell's your what the hell's that doing? That that's all the more reason to search it. Yeah, that's right? true. It's locked. You know. Yeah, you go and not not to mention, dude. That's that's a major flaw of the police department at that time too. Right, because even the initial investigators didn't yeah. check that either. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's locked. Okay. Right. So, but do you think they were steered away from that by the family, dude? Honestly, if they're if they're checking a house, the family is probably separate from from where they're, they're searching. searching yeah they're being right. interrogated they're they're being questioned so you know. okay an interesting thing about this the family was not separated they were involved with it 
what but this is this is like that that rich people privilege of like they're getting the benefit of the doubt you know it's a well-off family well it's also they were they were there for a missing person they weren't there for a body right yeah so at the time it was like we have a missing child yeah there's no there's no evidence of a crime but at the same time it's it's a missing five-year-old girl that's a big deal yeah so that is just one of the theories there's there's I still several think, others you know this family was in in good with the da who was there at the time yep. um they definitely had some influence you think of boulder colorado in 1998 was just a small town yeah right so i mean it's definitely yeah i i think it would definitely be safe to maybe assume that there was a little more and possibly the authorities in boulder know a little more yeah mm-hmm. um i i think they do you know the thing is when when you have influence like that and you have money often you don't have to worry about the same things that people without influence or money have to worry about when it comes to crime yeah mm-hmm. what do you guys think about the if you know about it the the santa claus theory the santa claus theory i um, i like that one too can like, you uh explain yeah so basically um i think it was like the night prior um she had seen santa claus or something um and the theory is is that he followed her, her back to her house and he was like a predator right and um he's the intruder mm-hmm. basically um came in through the window um and if you guys know anything about like Elizabeth Smart, and he, if you think about well, like how how could he get her down to the basement? Blah blah blah. Well, that that exact same thing happened when Elizabeth Smart was ca- um not captured. Well, I guess captured. I guess um is a good word. Well, when she was taken, mm-hmm. um he came into her her home through a window in the kitchen that was left open, and took her out through the kitchen window too. Like um had her at knife point or gunpoint and was like you're coming with me basically if you make a sound you're dead. Mm-hmm. And so she had to leave with him and then she was a missing person for a, a, quite a while. But that's kind of what I think about like the whole intruder theory with the Santa Claus and stuff is like something like that could have happened and she might have like been about to scream or something like that because like you still have the DNA from someone but from they, an they, unknown an unknown source. unknown person yeah they can't they can't it was an unidentified male they don't have the DNA for that was found on on her clothing that is true and the boot that has the same or it has DNA that doesn't belong to the family and they can't fi- figure out who right okay so another aspect of the Santa Claus theory because we're talking about the unknown intruder yeah um uh the oh my gosh it was the um they they found pineapple in yes. her stomach so recent yes. pineapple yeah um in the guy in the santa claus theory was bill mcreynolds yeah who was a person who the family had hired in 1995 yeah uh for a christmas party yeah and um Let's see. So uh, it wasn't the night before. It was it was somebody that was near to the family because right, of that. Right. Yeah. So Bill McReynolds, uh, in nineteen ninety uh nineteen ninety eight, he told the Denver Post that when he first met John Bonet Ramsey in ninety five, he was, he was struck by before. her smile, 
her pensive, almost retiring demeanor, and her angelic glow. McReynolds also stated that John Bonet had given him a vial of gold glitter at the at both the 1995 and 1996 Christmas parties. Okay, so he was there. Yep. He's quoted as saying, the stardust was all I took, was all it took for me, I'm sorry, the stardust was all I took with me for good luck when I had heart surgery last summer. Her murder was hard on me, harder than the operation. She made a profound change in me. I felt close to that little girl. I don't really have other children that I have this special relationship with, not even my own children or my own grandchildren. When I die, I'm going to be cremated. I've asked my wife to mix her, I'm sorry, to mix the stardust JonBenet gave with me. I'm sorry. Oh my God. No, you're fine. When I die, I'm going to be cremated. I've asked my wife to mix the stardust JonBenet gave me with my ashes. We're going to go up behind the cabin here and have it blown away in the wind. That is sus. That is a little like I'm sorry. Sus. You met her twice, and she was five, and then or four, four and, and five, five, or five and six. Yeah, yeah. And she made more of an impact on you than, than your own kids. Yeah, yeah. That's no, that. That is a little weird. That is extremely and, weird. And he was there the night, the the night before, or the Christmas he was, party. Whenever that was, it might the, have been the weeks Christmas before. party that year. Yeah, yeah. He was he was there. And the year before. So so he knew the home if the Christmas party was at the home. Was yeah, it? but I mean, it's not like he's going going around and exploring the home. So it's not like he knows where her bedroom is. However, John Bonet, uh, days prior, had mentioned something uh, to the neighbor, uh, the neighbor's parents. So they had, the two families were really close. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And had mentioned something to the neighbor's uh, mother or father, her friends there, about Santa telling her that he's going to pay her a special visit on Christmas Day. So. But Santa told my daughter that this year. No, I mean this Santa. We're talking about Bill McReynolds. Okay. Hmm. Or it's suspected to be Bill Bill McReynolds. Yeah. So. What do do you mean suspected to be? It's. The well, San- the Santa, yeah, Santa that they hired. The Bill Mc- oh, okay, yeah, his okay, name okay. is Bill McReynolds, um, and he had hosted parties or he had done Santa for their parties in years prior. I think the thing that's that's uh, most suspicious about it, I I don't know what <laughs> I don't know how to explain this. No, you're good. Um, I, I think it's all sus. Dude. I don't know how much how much credit I, I give to that theory, though. Yeah, like I Be, okay. I'm so still with the BDS here's, theory, here's but the there's thing, no proof like, on that. You know, right? Okay, and so I I follow a lot of true crime, and I yeah. I vaguely know criminal profiles. Yeah. So Bill McReynolds, even if he was a, if he was like a weird predator, yeah, if he was a predator. The the manner in which she was found is not indicative of that type of killer. True, true. So she would have been like molested. She would have been well, something. but there there were signs of abuse in that, and yeah. we covered that. Yeah. Um, but typically, when when a killer cares about someone, it's the killing is not violent in the manner that yeah. John Bonet suffered. Yeah. Um. Oftentimes, that sort of killer 
will go out of their way to hide the body um, rather than just place it somewhere because there's a, there's a level of care there. Yeah. And because Bill McReynolds had, you know, regardless of the length of the interactions, there's something about what he says in interviews that indicates that he cares for her. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't necessarily believe the Santa Claus or the intruder theory. I do believe that it's possible that Bill McReynolds may have paid a visit to her that night and they had the pineapple together. It was like, I think it was pineapple and milk. Yeah. Or milk. 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 <laughs> milk. Um, I just don't, I don't see him fit to be the killer. Yeah. Did, did I, th- I think they're all good possibilities. Well, that's that's the problem with this case is that they don't have a a solid a def- lead because right. yo check this out though yo sorry not to interrupt they just saw looking things up as we're talking kind of checking this out yeah I don't yeah. know if this is already said but if it wasn't I think this is interesting is that this says Jean Benet's death in some respects paralleled the plot of a play that McReynolds' wife had written before the killing. Ooh. Did okay, not know so about that. Is this is this a a convenient scapegoat? More than likely, I would say yes. Be okay. At first so, glance. Yeah, at first glance, it looks like wow, uh McReynolds has I mean there's a lot of credence to yeah. it. But when and you then think if of, somebody knew about the play, they could have totally Exactly. Just, and who knew the McReynolds family? Patsy. Facts. Facts. And then we think about about that ransom note in which the sum asked for was mirrored to her husband's bonus from the year prior. Yeah. It's just like, Hmm. Yeah. I, my personal spin on it is the family knows. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I go back. I'll always go back to that. Yeah. That the family knows. Yeah. I I agree, dude. I I don't I don't think they do. I I mean, if they do, they're hiding it to me very well. Um, well they're hiding it just to like, everyone okay, very I'm well. So think about 1998. Yeah, I could understand in the year 2020 being able to know what a bonus is of a certain person within within a company. Yeah. I I find you it highly Glassdoor. unlikely that it's easier to find that information. If we're talking about a if we're talking about a cult movement who targeted this family because they're wealthy, mm. I I just I don't buy it. Like yeah. ransom notes um are historically like not that long. Well, she had other connect he, there's other connections to the family through the that cult. Um um I've I forget what it is, so like I can't even really bring it up. But um, in that in that documentary that I watched, um, it's pretty compelling, um, and I I would highly recommend watching it if if you're interested in it. Um, checking out the what's the name of it? It is. Let me see here. Um, hunting John Bonet's killer an untold an untold story. Um, I I believe it was on. Um, ID on okay. investigative discovery. Um, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I I still lean more towards the best answer is. I think it's definitely the easiest answer. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I it it just doesn't make sense. None nothing about this 
this case in which in in the way it's presented to me makes sense yeah so yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's i mean that's why this this case is still open man it's a whopper it is a whopper a whopper welcome to colorado (laughs) where we have mountains (laughs) mountains mountains (laughs) mountains awesome uh do you got anything else on this case i don't all right, Cody, you're up. All right, going into arguably arguably the most famous Colorado mass shooting, Columbine. Woo. Happened I on know about that. April 20th, 1999. Oh, that's yeah. sus. That's your birthday. It is my birthday. That is the day that you were born. The day. It was uh done by two kids, uh Dylan and Eric. And they uh they killed I I believe it was uh 13 people. Yeah. 13. I, I don't know. 12 students and one teacher. Yeah. Educate us. So, so they were, uh, I wouldn't say normal kids. They were definitely outcasts. Yeah. Was One of them was a, like a more jockey kid, right? I don't think so. No, they were both outcasts and they were apparently also bullied quite a bit. Yeah, yes. the, yeah, they. I, that's pretty. That's pretty well known. They were they were really bullied, um, and uh, they they created a hit list with mm-hmm. people that with were the bullied. people that yeah yeah they uh so so their original plan was to to bomb the school, but their bombs didn't go off, so they went in with guns and opened fire. They 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 had fully planned on on dying from the explosions. Yeah, yeah, it was a whole, whole thing. And there's videos and tapes of them. No, the tapes were burned. Were they really? By uh, one of, either Eric or, uh, what's his name? Fuck. One of the the shooters' parents burned the tape so that they're gone. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. 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 Um, Yeah, so this was... Oh my lord. This is another whopper of a case that has so many aspects to it. Yes. Yeah. Um looks like they had several homemade bombs, none of planted uh, in the cafeteria. They placed two of them in the cafeteria. Yeah. There are pipe and, bombs and mm-hmm. like um tennis ball bombs. Yeah. Shit. They're said to be powerful enough to kill or seriously injure all people within the area, although they failed to detonate. They also turned their cars into bombs. I did not I didn't know, know that. about that. Uh, when the bombs didn't detonate, they shot at the bombs to try to get them to detonate, and it didn't work. And then they had two bombs that were also set up as diversions, and only one of which partially detonated. Hmm. Um, and it looks like they had no real motive. Yeah. Uh, or the motive was unclear. Um, looks it, like it's more speculated than anything. It, it was about the bullying, R- yeah. right? So they had planned it for around a year and hoped the massacre would cause the most deaths in U.S. history, uh, which meant exceeding the death toll of the Oklahoma bombing, which was, I think, 192 people. Yeah, that's in crazy insane. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit of their their background here. 
1996, 15 year old Eric Harris created a private website on AOL. (laughs) For you kiddos out there that used to. It did be that way. That was America Online, and we had this really cool dial up sound. Um, It was initially to host level uh, WADs. Harris created for use in the first person shooter video game Doom and Doom 2, as well as Quake. I remember playing Quake. Same. I remember playing Um, Doom 2. Eric Harris also had a blog, which included jokes and his thoughts on family, friends, and school. Uh, He detailed about sneaking out of the house to cause mischief and vandalize, such as lighting fireworks with his BFF Dylan Claybold and others. Looks like Harris worked at a fireworks stand and had received several fireworks as a result of that job. Mm-hmm. Um, when those still existed in Colorado. Yeah. Right. Uh, when they would sneak out, um, in reference to their high school mascot, the Rebel, um, they called it uh, Rebel Missions. They adopted names, Reb and Vodka. And then... In early 1997, the blog postings began to show the first signs of Harris's anger against society. And by the end of the year, the site contained instructions on how to make explosives. Wow. That's Hmm. a quick escalation. Yeah. Right. So also in 1997, he wrote, The first true pipe bombs created entirely from scratch by the rebels, R.E.B. and Vodka, are now... now our only problem is to find the place that will be quote ground zero. Dang. I just I don't know what triggered that kind of evil in those people. Like Right. I I mean I understand bullying and 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 that kind of stuff but like But what what like like the snap What that was in what your was brain. the final straw? Right. Yeah. And then I know I know that they planned to do it on Hitler's birthday. Yeah, that yeah. They, that's that was one of the main things. And there. I know that um, the Matrix had come out, and they were influenced by that, and that's why they wore their trench coats. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, so we're looking at nearly a year before the massacre. Claybold wrote a message in Harris's yearbook, and it says, "Quote: Killing enemies, blowing up stuff, and killing cops." Um. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> My wrath for January's incident will be godlike, not to mention our revenge in the commons. Uh, the commons was another term for the school cafeteria. Yeah. Right. That's what we called Yeah, that's it what I always called Atlanta it. Atlanta, too. We referred to it as the commons. Uh, looks like they, they often would use their schoolwork um, in their creative writing projects to kind of foreshadow what they were going to do. Yeah, didn't one of them get kicked back? Um, um, like alerted a teacher or some sort. Yeah, so it looks like Claybold wrote a short story about a man killing students, which worried his teacher so much that she alerted his parents. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then October 2, 1997, Harrison Claybold were suspended for hacking into the Columbine High School's computer system to get student locker combinations. Oh, Interesting. Damn. Wow. Um, both had also actively searched, researched war and murder for one project Harris wrote a paper on the Nazis and Claybold wrote a paper on Charles Manson. In psychology class, 
Harris wrote he dreamed of going on a shooting spree with Claybold. Huh. So it, I mean, That's again, it, it's so it's so hard to assess this because yeah, they're all kids over the place. Have they're they're often misguided, and you don't actually think like I think as a society, the day that we stop giving people the benefit of the doubt, the day is the day that we lose a yeah. lot of stuff but right. we we have to find that balance of being able to take things seriously and addressing these issues straight on while still maintaining like our ability to 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 freely express agreed agreed like you got to be able to like identify a threat yeah so and then so we're going back so they had basement tapes yeah okay so on these tapes i it, it might sound weird, but I wish they weren't burned. Some of them I would love to watch those because I've seen Dude. a documentary that had some of the footage. There's yeah. no, they were. It was probably because they they were all burned. Really? No, I've his, seen his, some. So actual there's footage two tapes too. that are still out there. Oh, yeah. One of them is Hitman for Hire and Rampart Range, and a part of a third known as Radioactive Clothing have been released. Really? Yeah. So. Two tapes. Uh, the remaining three tapes um, were burned. And then all I've seen is um, just the tapes from the school, which there's not a whole lot of footage. Yeah, from. not a whole lot. A lot of it was just like in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, I've seen like a like a reenactment yeah. by, done by a couple of the survivors mm-hmm. um, that they had like put their reenactment I right, guess, to, right together on you know like they, they said like based on their accounts mm-hmm. of what happened like in the library right right which is just sad man yeah yeah it it was a it's interesting yeah terrible shit i think it's just two outcast kids that Got into re- researching the wrong things and then got into the wrong mindset and yeah, probably definitely bullied and just you know a lot of shit that they led didn't up to that decision. They didn't have an outlet or a resource to take care of their bullying issues either. Mm-hmm. Like um, from from what my understanding of it is, is just like I mean I don't know if your resource um, resources at your school were anything like mine, but. Dude, if I was to Absolute go to like dog my, shit. Yeah, dude, yeah. if I was to go to my guidance counselor and say anything, like my like, guidance counselor would be like, "Well, that sucks." Yeah. You know, sorry yeah. that your day is rough. And it's just like, "No, you know, like no, th- I'm having an issue. It's mm-hmm. it's something that's reoccurring. It's not Right, right. You know, like and she'd just be like, "Well, I'm sorry well, your day yeah. is rough." <laughs> again yeah you know and just like completely ignore everything i have to say so i i bet that had something to do with it you know like other than the one teacher that that saw something and reached out to the parents like no one else really well, it kind of sounds yeah, like they cared. got to a point yeah. where they didn't really want help they decided I, I, they, no, they were going to help themselves they were going to help themselves they were going to solve the, the issue themselves in their and, head that was w- and, what yeah, they were doing to yeah. them yeah for over a year so, to plot something like this uh, once they made up their mind it was done they weren't going to reach out for help because that's what they were going to do yeah here is the fbi's theory on these two um 
people. The FBI concluded that the killers were victims of mental illness, that Harris was a clinical psychopath and Claybold was depressive. Dr. Dwayne Fuselier, the supervisor in charge of the Columbine investigation, would later remark, I believe Eric went to the school to kill and didn't care if he died, while Dylan wanted to die and didn't care if others died as well. In, night, in April of 1998, a year prior to the shooting, Harris wrote a letter of apology to the owner of the van as part of his diversion program. Around the same time, he derided him, he derided him in, his ver- in his journal, stating that he believed himself to have the right to steal something if he wanted to. By far, the most prevalent theme in Claybold's journals is his wish for suicide and private despair at his lack of success, at his lack of success with women, mm-hmm. which he refers to as infinite sadness. Claybold had repeatedly documented his desires to kill himself, and his final remark in the basement tapes shortly before the attack is a resigned statement made as he glances away from the camera. He said, "Just no, I'm going to be." I'm going to a better place. I didn't like life too much. Huh. That's that's just sad. It is. It's sad somebody would feel like that. Right. Like, that is to the that extent. FBI assessment of the two kids. Wow. So they were troubled. And I think like many issues is that there's such a stigma in society around mental illness that often people who suffer from it don't want to come forward because they're afraid of things like, so if you go to the doctor and you say, Hey, I'm incredibly depressed. And the doctor's like, well, you know, do you own guns and whether or not the person does or doesn't, the answer is always no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because in, in so many ways, it's like, we have a, as a society have said, if you suffer from anything, then your rights are lesser. Yes, yes. And I and I think that that we need to get away from that, and we need to be able to address people and say, look, you you have a disease. It's it's like the same thing as having cancer. You're not gonna yeah. you're not gonna yeah. you know deny people's privileges because they have cancer. Why right. would you do the same thing if they have a mental illness? Mm-hmm. Right. So. Too often, I think people that are suffering from it, like even James Holmes, um, you know, maybe he wasn't forthright because I it's it's just so hard to tell because you can't get adequate care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you can't be honest. But right. you can't be honest if you if you think that like, oh my God, like I'm gonna tell this person legitimately what I'm thinking. And they're going to admit me or they're going to, you know, turn me into the authorities. Like thought isn't a crime. Right. right. But right. thought does need to be addressed if it is, if it is, you know, like truly criminal. Like mm-hmm. it's Agreed. one thing to say yeah. something, but it's another thing to like obsess over it. Right. Right. Definitely. So, I mean, what are you, what are you guys thoughts on the Columbine case? Was this just a, a breakdown? Because... So often we see these cases in which there are signs and the proper th- the the proper people are alerted but it's like it they're overlooked. Well, the system does nothing. nothing. Yeah. And there were obvious signs that yeah. this right. was going to happen. They, they even made threats to people. Yeah. Like like it it it, it was, wasn't something they necessarily kept like top secret. No, yeah. 
maybe like the inner details the, yeah. of what they're gonna do. They weren't. I, I guess they weren't open about it, but they weren't. It wasn't like no one knew. They would that. hint at it and they would threaten people yeah. about it. And you know, I I I don't think it was necessarily a breakdown like you like you would say. I I would say it's more of a build up. Like mm-hmm. they there was there were certain things that led up to this all happening on top of the mental illness like right like bullying for instance like i mean that was one thing that multiple kids from that school came out and said that these kids were losers that these kids were you know like nobody liked them they didn't really have any friends they didn't the outcasts yeah that's different from what i read though because according to what i read is they they had their little trench coat mafia or whatever. No, they had they and, had a select group. Um, they had like but, a little clique. But yeah, but they would protect would... the preppy kids from actual bullies. Oh, that I mean, that's yeah. that's as far as what I've read. So it, it's not like they I were. I know that they referred to in a couple of their journals as the white hats, and those those the preppy jock kids that were bullying people. That I, right. I, I, I've read about this, yeah. and they were yeah. supposedly protecting people from them. Yeah. Um. But they would get the shit kicked out of them for it. Uh, yeah. And so, like, to me, like, it's 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 shit like that that led up to um, them, you know, going this route versus just, like, killing themselves because they're depressed. Right, right. Okay, so here's here's another take on it because we're, we're going into, like, the common theme with James Holmes and... Uh, um the columbine shooters was that they were outcasts they were they were awkward they were bullied but like it's not like this is this is something unique that just sprung up i mean we're talking from early on the public education system in america there have always been kids who are bullied right but we haven't seen we never seen the the spike in school shootings until Actually, I think Columbine was was probably one of the first. If you take out like Waco, yeah. no, right? No, right. yeah, like, yeah. Um, it's so. I guess what I'm getting at is, I mean, it wasn't the first school shooting, but it was the first nationally televised huge event. It, like, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was one of the one of the biggest for sure. Um, S- to this day, right? Yeah, but before Florida, but so yeah. often we, I mean, okay, so of all the schools in the nation. I mean, I don't know how many schools we have here in the United States. There's bullying in a hundred percent of those schools. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what what we're seeing here is like an anecdote of the effects of bullying. And people say that automatically, if you know you're an outcast and you're bullied, you're automatically at risk or that. But when you look at the history of school shootings, it didn't really become prevalent until, you know. Yeah. 90s 2000s um, um is it do you guys think that it's something that shifted societally in in the sense of like maybe we don't value each other as much as we used to because i no. i think that bullying was was likely more severe in the 50s 60s 70s and 80s definitely yeah. um what i think what i think it is to be honest um is just that this happened it was nationally televised and now it's okay now kids they got inspiration idolizing people yeah exactly yeah 
I mean, I don't. I don't think it's like gun issue. I don't think it's a mental health issue. I don't think it's a, even a bullying issue. I think that they I think got I'll, inspiration from, yeah. like, and you know, the kids that that did this in the first place got their inspiration from somewhere. They got their inf- inspiration from. You know, um, Hitler, they got their inspiration from Charles Manson, Charles, yeah, Manson, Charles Manson, like other other people that they idolized at, that were killers. Mm-hmm. And and they um, and then so now that that mindset is out there that that, you know, you could do this, that right now you see more of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't that, know. I don't think about like I don't know though, because there's I think that there's a lot of kids who who see things and this isn't like. I'm I'm just trying to to analyze on a different plane here but there's a lot of kids in high school who are who are fascinated with Hitler not because they're they're like no yeah I not have because a they they Hitler believe in and it's not like yeah, uh, but I because like of right. what, I'm like, what, what he fuck? did in what he did in history yeah. and how he rose to power and some kids will even idolize that power but that doesn't necessarily mean that their uh, intent is to yeah. do anything bad with it. It's just, it's interesting. And I mean, even Charles Manson, I don't know about you guys, but like every every kid within like the, the cliques that I, I kind of ran around with in high school were like obsessed with Charles Manson. And I think maybe it's because... It's, it's dark. Right. And yeah. yeah. So, but... There was never that. So it's like, can you can't really blame? No, those you, I'm not. I'm not saying that they're to blame. I'm saying that that, for instance, <clears throat> they set the example that this can be done. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why you see more um, school shootings and and stuff like that. More mass shootings is because they, it's been done. You know, like. Mm-hmm they they did it and you know the people who are thinking about doing it now see that as an inspiration right that's true and i think to an extent well actually the main the main culprit to blame here um if if you're going to blame anybody but the actual perpetrators is the media agreed agreed Uh, that was i mean i was in school and i saw this happening on national te- on national television, you know, like I, I, I remember that day vividly, and always will. What day? Your birthday. Oh, just like like nine eleven, man. Like is nationally televised something that that happened like that, and that was huge. Yeah, huge. yeah. Like yeah. Any and anytime there's another one. You know, it gets public attention, which like further like, like the it's just, the Las Vegas shooter. Exactly. Like, um, it, I just think that with media like that, like, I mean, yeah, it needs to be covered. It's it's journalism and stuff like that. But like, the thing is, is that you might be throwing gasoline on a fire. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, here's what I think is like it needs to be covered, but it doesn't need to be shoved down a your headline throat. for two weeks. Agreed. Like, I think it's in, well, first of all, it's, I don't know if it's something that's worthy of national headlines. Yeah. Local. Like local news. Yes. But to throw this out nationally, because so often we've seen these media companies 
do have an agenda and they'll use whatever to push that through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's disgusting. It I is. mean, you've seen mm-hmm. it with the Vegas shooting. You've seen it with with the Parkland shooting. You've seen it with the Newtown shooting. Yep. Um, and it, so often, like, there are things that happen that are just as egregious, that are just as disgusting, that are not covered and then, simply because it doesn't fit a certain narrative. Yeah. And then right, right. after that, what do you see? You see thousands and thousands of americans going take away my rights mm-hmm. yeah and that that's just the thing is like one event should not be able to influence you know you blame the person yeah at the end of the day that's what what it comes down to is this person had evil in their heart and they were intent on doing it no matter what at whatever they, means necessary yeah, they were going to make mm-hmm. bombs that they, that they right. made bombs that yeah themselves so like, <laughs> right i i just have such an issue when when people blame other things like yeah agreed these animals everyone that we've covered tonight <laughs> it, it's it's the fault of their own yeah it's mm-hmm. not the means in which they did it it is it is the reasons for which they did it yeah mm-hmm. that these are terrible things right agreed you got anything else (laughs) mr producer this is big dark um it was was a it was an interesting one this is yeah i think that some of these can run into what i'd like to do for another podcast in conspiracy theories oh absolutely Absolutely. yeah yeah we're kind of touching on that a little bit tonight yeah uh, definitely i mean you know, theories in general for, for things that happen uh, can easily turn into conspiracy theories. Um, and I kind of love that we leave we leave the majority of these open-ended so that we can return back to these comments in a later podcast. So if you enjoyed this one, definitely keep your eyes out for uh, our return back into this topic. Um, there's a lot more to discuss on Chris Watts, a lot more to discuss on John Bonet, a lot more to discuss on mental status and things of that nature um, when it comes to what's going on with the folks that commit these heinous crimes. Um, and I think that it, it would, it would definitely be, um, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it would definitely be, uh, it would be awesome if we could return to this. So if, if you enjoyed this one, keep your eyes out. Um, definitely uh, return into this one. Definitely. Yeah. Follow, follow us on Twitter. And if you have any cases that you think that we should look into, you'd like to hear us discuss, um, at us. tweet us out. Yeah. At from underground Kings. Um, we're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on TikTok, so YouTube. we'd love to hear your thoughts on these things. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. P- feel free to to contact us and, and let us know if there's any any topics for future podcasts that you'd like us to cover. If you want us to cover any topics related to this one when we dive back into this subject, um, we're all ears um, when we would love some some suggestions. Uh, but for now, I think we're going we're gonna to cap this one off uh, and leave it where it lies. And I uh, want to thank you guys very much for tuning in, uh, listening to the From Underground Kings Bandcast, uh, as we affectionately call it, our podcast that we try to do each week. Uh, stay tuned, and uh, we'll be back next week with, one, with another one for you. Peace. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube. TikTok. Uh, catch our music on yeah, all TikTok. the stuff. Spotify, Apple Music can be uh, uh, <laughs> found anywhere there, and you can get our podcast wherever free podcasts are sold. So, have a good night. Yes, sir. Peace. Take care. We had line, so 
Santa, please don't tell me that it's still 2020. I just want one.